you guys doing tonight? Welcome to all you online as well. Thank you for tuning in and joining in in our Precious Marriage series. So uh, we have been going through the book of First Peter, and we are in the final verses of chapter uh, 3. And so if you have your Bible and want to open up, to that we've been kind of looking at again not doing an in-depth study but just asking the Lord to speak to our hearts about maybe some of the things that he would want to communicate to us on on marriage and what that would look like so we are in first Peter chapter 3 tonight it was kind of entitled precious suffering even though we've talked about suffering in chapter 2 we're going to talk about it again a little bit in chapter 4 as we move into that, but uh, this is kind of what I titled this. Um, anyways, First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, it says, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. As I read this, I'm kind of thinking, well, yeah, that, that you would think this statement would not have to be made, uh, as Peter's speaking to these believers to say to them, hey, you, you, you know, it, it's be, it is better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good rather than evil. But, but listen, uh, I know people, and I'm sure you do too, who in your life have claimed to be Christian and yet have not acted in a very Christ-like way. And yet sometimes they'll even, I had a guy uh, work, uh, many different people, but one in particular comes to mind who, you know, I'm being persecuted, I'm suffering for Jesus. And no, you're not suffering for Jesus, for being, you know, for, for Jesus' sake, you're suffering because you're obnoxious and you're rude and uh, people don't see what you're doing as anything but good. You know, we used to have, we, you know, I did construction. We used to hire a bunch of guys and we hire a lot of Christians because we were oftentimes at churches, you know, uh, and they would come in and they would want to spend their entire day witnessing or sharing with people. And I'd have to remind them, the boss is not paying you to witness or share. On your lunch, you can witness and share with whoever you want. But when it's our time to work, we need to be working and doing what God has called us to. But again, let, let's not be that kind of a person. But again, Peter bringing back into that suffering is a part of at least Peter's belief and understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And here I love it, because this is the gospel. Anytime I see a verse and it has the gospel in it, I get very excited because it's always fun to preach the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ came, that he dwelt among us, that he hung on the cross and shed his blood for our sins, that he rose again on the third day according to scripture and now is seated with the Lord in the heaven. Again, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be able to be brought back into a right relationship with a holy righteous God. Again, the Bible tells us in Romans there, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each one of us has that sin nature. And sin does what? Sin separates. And we've talked about that before. And, and, and yet Jesus Christ came, as John the Baptist said, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so that we would no longer be separated from God, that we could experience forgiveness, grace, 
not only with God, but with others as well. Again, holy, righteous God. Listen, in the garden, uh, the sin hadn't entered in. They had perfect, they were one. But yet sin entered in, sin separated. And yet there's this gulf there that man could not come into the, sinful man could not come into the presence of a holy, righteous God. That's why Jesus Christ came he laid his life down. He became the bridge in a sense that we might be able to be brought back into that relationship. But listen, not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with our spouse. Again, I don't know, and I've shared this many times, I live at the cross because there at the cross we find grace and forgiveness. And that is oftentimes what is needed within our lights. That's the work. Sin separates, but the Holy Spirit work is to bring us back together to be one. Verse 19 and 20. By whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when the once when the when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight souls were saved through water. Okay, by whom he also went and preached to the spirit. Listen. I have six commentaries on my desk on 1 Peter. I could read each one of them. Each one of them will have a different take on what this verse actually means or what it's trying to speak to us. Again, a lot of people believe that when Jesus died and then he rose again three days later, in that time is when this happened where he went and he preached. But this is what David Guzik said about this verse. He says... Uh, we don't know exactly why Jesus preached uh, to these imprisoned spirits. He says this, in all probability, this was preaching the proclamation of God's message, but it was not evangelism, the proclaiming of good news. Jesus preached a message of judgment and final condemnation in light of his finished work on the cross to those disobedient spirits. And that's, you know, and again, many people believe that happened there. You can go and if you want to look into that, you can do more of looking into that. But Peter is going to go on and he's going to give us a picture in a sense of our salvation. He's going to use Noah as the example. Noah was asked to build this ark. 120 years, Noah's out there building this ark because God said, I'm going to bring judgment on the world. And yet Noah and his family, when they went into the ark, then the floodwaters came. Because they were in the ark, the ark was lifted up above the judgment that was happening on the world. In a sense, that is a picture of baptism, you know, where we would go, where we would go down under the water, in a sense, representing uh, the, the dead man staying there, the sin being removed and rising again to new life, the life that Christ has for us. But Peter is going to let us know that baptism is not what saves us. It's symbolic of the work that happens by our belief in Jesus Christ. Baptism is not a means of which it saves me. It's just symbolic of the work that God's already done within my heart. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the flesh, the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, what is it that can wash away my sin? What is it that washes away your sin? It is truly nothing but the blood 
of Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood. Listen, I can get baptized. That does not wash away my sins. I can do communion. It does not wash away my sins. I can be a really, really good person and try to do all the right things. And, and hopefully by my good works, my sin will be washed away. No, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away my sin. It is only him. God sent his son and it is by believing in him and faith in him that our sins can be forgiven. Because he rose again the third day, seated at the right hand of God, which it goes on to tell us in verse 22, who was gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and, have, and powers having been made subject to him. Again, when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, which we're going to be celebrating here Easter, and again, Easter is, uh, I've gotten to preach Easter messages. It's one of the funnest messages you'll ever preach because that's, that's, why, we, that's why we're here. It's the gospel message. But, but him rising from the dead is God's stamp of approval upon his acceptance of what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross, that God approved of that. That is the sacrifice that God approves of. It's not what I'm doing, but it's what he did. It's what God did. He did that. And I just love that. And yet Jesus has gone to heaven. He's praying. He's interceding. And he's also doing some building up there. Remember, Jesus says, um, I go to my father's. Uh, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would tell you. I go to my, um, yeah. I go to prepare a place for you. That's it. That's what I'm looking for. And where I am there, you may be also. And again, people, listen, this world is not our home. Uh, where we will spend all eternity is in the Father's house if we're trusting and believing what he has done. Listen, because it's God's house, it's God's rules. Understand this, okay? We oftentimes think I get to go to heaven because I think uh, I, that's what I get to do. And I don't really care about God in his house. We dealt with drug and alcohol people for many years while we were pastoring up in the state of Washington. We would bring people home and detox them before I kind of sent them off to a rehab place. And oftentimes I'd be out in the front yard. I'd sit in the car with these people who came to me asking me to help them. I said, listen, I want to help you. I do. I really do. But we're about to go into my house. In my house, it's my rules. If you don't follow my rules, I'm going to come grab your stuff, put you in the car, take you down to the ferry and, and run you across. The wonderful thing about the ferry on our side, you didn't have to pay. You can get on. But when you got to the other side, they had to pay to come back so they couldn't come back because they never had money. But anyways, but and, and there would be inevitably there would be people I'd bring into my house and they'd cuss at Mary or they'd say something or, you know, something like that. And I'd say, OK, that's it. I told you my house, my rules. You don't come into my house and 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 and, and make me change just like in God's house. It's his rule. And it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that we enter, that we enter. And I love this. And it's Jesus Christ who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus, is, that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God. Peter, remember we began in chapter 2 talking about what? Submission, submission government, submission employee, employer. Chapter three, submission in, in the marital relationship, submission to others around us. Now we're talking about the ultimate point of submission. 
where the Bible says there will be a day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, and again, I know you've heard this. If we don't bow our knee now, um, we will bow our knee one day. But then, now we experience grace and peace if we'll bow our knee now. But then, grace will not be extended. It will be judgment and the judgment of God that is to come, bowing later. So I encourage us all, we bow our knee now and we enjoy that grace and peace that Jesus has for us. So let's see where the ladies go. Okay. Okay. As Pat said, he had entitled this section, Precious Suffering. And I felt like that sounded kind of like an oxymoron. These words just don't go together. So this is going to be interesting. Look at these verses. But um, there were some really cool things, some highlights that I just wanted to touch on for the ladies. And um, in verse 17, it says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. And what really stuck out to me this week was just this whole idea of the will of God. That, that topic has come up several times in the last a few weeks in the things that we have studied. And yet, this is the will of God. And yet, we're talking about suffering, trials, issues because we live godly lives if it is the will of god if it's really what god wants what god has allowed am i going to trust him am i going to look to him for help rather than me trying to resolve the situation am i going to look to him for comfort when i don't understand and it's a hard thing to go through am i going to look to him for wisdom am i going to look to him for vindication when maybe someone's wronged me and this is not right and i demand that we fix this and yet in this whole idea of this just might be the will of god i need to learn to trust him Psalm 40, verse 8 says this, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. You know, I just thought about, it's, it's not that I don't know how to do God's will, because this verse tells me that he gave me instructions, and they're even written on my heart. I find that most of the time for us, even especially as ladies, it's a battle of my will, a battle of will I choose to surrender and do things God's way, or do I feel like this isn't fair and I'm going to fix this my way? And even when sometimes God's will might involve suffering or difficulty. Psalm 91 verse 1 and 2 says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Isn't that interesting that we have that stamped on our coins for now? I don't know for how much longer. And yet, we don't live as a nation that truly believes in Him will I trust. But doing the will of God is surrendering of my own will and, and acknowledging that truth, in you do I trust. Our lives, our circumstances, our marriages will never be perfect. Sorry, if you came here to find out how to, how to have a perfect marriage, we'll never have a lesson on that because there is no such thing. We live in a fallen world. We're sinners. But abiding in Jesus in good times and in bad is the safest place for us to dwell. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians, chip, in Ephesians 6 to keep on doing the will of God from our hearts. You know, I don't know if there's an old quote um, that I've heard Pastor Chuck say it. I think I've heard Billy Graham say it. I don't know even where it originated, so I was kind of looking it up. And it goes like this. The will of God will not take us 
where the grace of God cannot keep us. And I just, I love that idea because there's a promise in that. There's a guarantee that God is never going to lead us or take us in a place that will be too hard or that we're, where we're doomed to failure because his grace will always keep us. When I looked it up, you can actually look it up. There is a whole little poem that they wrote was anonymous, but it goes on about the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, where the arms of God cannot support you, where the riches of God cannot supply your needs, where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you where the spirit of God cannot work through you, where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the army of God cannot protect you, where the hands of God cannot mold you. The will of God will never take you where the love of God cannot enfold you, where the mercy of God cannot sustain you, where the peace of God cannot calm your fears, where the authority of God cannot overrule for you. Isn't that a good one as wives? The, the authority of God cannot, he can overrule for you, don't worry. The will of God will never take you where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears, where the word of God cannot feed you, where the miracles of God cannot be done for you, where the omnipresence of God cannot find you. We don't need to be afraid of the will of God in our lives. Serving, submitting, obeying God's word, maybe even having to endure trials for doing what is right, are all ways that we do the will of God. And God sees what's going on. That's why he says in 1 John 2.17, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Going on to verse 18, it says that Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus is the example, the ultimate example of how to do God's will. John 6, 38, this is what Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent sent me and I just I love that picture as Pat pointed out Jesus left his throne in heaven to come and submit himself to the will of the father for the purpose of saving you and for me Peter was an eyewitness to this Jesus was his example as well he suffered for our sins not his own he was innocent for us the guilty ones he was righteous for us the unrighteous ones he was the just one for us the unjust ones Jesus understands how hard this is, and he has shown us the way of how to do the Father's will. And look at his motivation in that verse, back in verse 18, that he might bring us to God. The, the New Living says it like this, that he might bring you safely home to God. I love that, again, that whole idea, it's not just, okay, we've got to suffer through this. There's a purpose, there's a motivation in mind that he might bring us to God. Could it be that some of the unfair trials that we face might just be the will of God to help bring someone else to God? Opportunities that we have to shine for Jesus in our homes, in our marriages, even out in the world, how do we not know that Jesus might be using us to bring one to God? Surrendering control, submitting to an authority greater than ourselves is scary and insane to the world that we live in, but not to us, because we know the one who is worthy of our obedience. Ladies, when we get this concept with God right, submitting to our spouse will be a breeze, because our ultimate goal will be God's goal, drawing people nearer to him. 
Now the next verses, as Pat pointed out, are still debated by all kinds of scholars. So I just picked out a few highlights for myself. I'm not even going to enter into that debate. And when it talks about that he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. I, the first thing that jumped out to me was the whole idea of disobeyed God. And again, for us, the idea of disobedience. Not listening to God in his word, doing my will and doing things my way. That's what disobedience is. Now, there might be obvious sins that we participate in, but it can be just my pride and my wrong attitudes toward my spouse. It can be unforgiveness, not forgiving when there's been a wrong and maybe he said, I'm sorry, and yet I want to hold it against him or just hang on to it and be mad about it. A divided heart, not listening to the Lord and doing things my way because I feel like maybe this isn't fair and you're not fixing this. If we choose to remain in disobedience, it will bring consequences, just like it did in Noah's day. We cannot control the flood of sin, hurt, guilt, and shame that we allow into our own lives when we willfully choose to walk in disobedience. Now, we all sin, but we don't need to live there. We don't need to stay there and dwell in our sin. When we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, we need to repent and be forgiven, surrender to God's will, and experience his care and protection in our lives. But we don't want to live in disobedience because that's what brought down the people of Noah's day. And the other thing I, I like, it says, they disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently. I love this whole idea. In one of the versions, it talked about the long suffering of God. God waited patiently, his great patience. While people were busy about doing their own will, disobeying him, he waits and he hopes for their return. Second Peter 3.15 says this, Consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. His patience gives people time to be saved. Aren't you glad about that? That God's patience is what made a way for each of us to be saved. He could have come back hundreds of years ago, or he could have come back 20 years ago when some of us weren't walking with him, when we weren't saved. And yet his long-suffering is salvation to us. Romans 2.4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Jesus is our example. We need to follow him. It's a heart check, I thought, for me. Am I this wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient with my spouse when there's been a wrong or a disagreement? What about in the middle of a problem or issue? Am I, do I have that same wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient heart that God does? Since Jesus has shown me that great kindness in order to turn me from my sin to him, maybe if I follow his lead and show that same kindness to my guy, he will also look to Jesus and stay right with him. And so that's the two highlights that I got out of that verse. Moving on to verse 21, it talks about this antitype that now saves us, baptism, which is the answer of a good conscience towards God. And I thought, you know, baptism, as Pat pointed out, is simply a public demonstration of an inward change that has already gone on inside of my heart when Jesus saved me and forgave me and made me new. It's, he gave me that good conscience towards God. Baptism didn't save us, if, especially if you think about it. If a lot of us were baptized as babies and 
we're living proof that baptism didn't save us. We needed to get saved. So Titus 3 says this, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We are saved by God's mercy when we put our faith in the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are justified by his grace alone. Uh, one of the commentaries I read, George MacDonald, he said this, Jesus, the classic example of one who suffered for righteousness' sake, reminds us that for him, suffering was the pathway to glory. I like that. The suffering of Jesus was the pathway to his glory. And that kind of reads right into our, our verse 22, where it says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Jesus, who came to earth, who willingly surrendered his will to the Father's will to die for our sins and to be raised again for the hope of our new life, now is fully restored to his rightful place of honor and authority in heaven. That gives us hope and encouragement to keep on obeying the Father's will for us, even if it might involve some difficulties here on this earth, because listen to what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. Therefore, we do not lose heart. The outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and, ex and eternal weight of glory. Glory in doing the Father's will. Amen. Amen. You know, for me, again, as I was sitting and pondering these verses, uh, 17, 18, talking about the, the suffering, we've already heard Peter kind of say uh, in chapter 2, verse 21, to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. And as I was thinking about marriage and I was thinking about suffering, and I was thinking, we're doing a marriage class, and is suffering a part of our concept or understanding? Or is there suffering in marriage? And I actually happened to ask um, Joanne, um, we were, I was working in the front office, and she was in there covering for the girls. And so I said, Joanne, because I was just sitting there working as stuff, I said, I was pondering, she says, do you think there's suffering in marriage? And so she started kind of walking me through her life and all of the different things. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I think for all of us, there can be suffering in marriage. Listen, when I got married, I did not say, I can't wait to get married so I could experience suffering with you, you know, or I can't wait to experience pain and suffering with you. But listen, listen. I'm doing two weddings this week, one on Thursday, one on Saturday. In both weddings, I'm doing, I'm talking out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For those of you who know it, it's called the love chapter, right? It's read, you probably, maybe some of you had it read at your wedding, you know, from 1 Corinthians 13 on love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, this is what it says. Love suffers long. That's how it starts. And you think that's a verse that we have read at our wedding? And yet as I was reading, I'm thinking, hey, this, is, this applies, you know, and stuff. But again, I oftentimes, I, I, I know for me when I got married, it was um, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. 
and finds favor from the Lord. Good thing, favor. That's what I want. But the suffering, but I'm just not so sure that I want that as part of my relationship. And I'm sure that a lot of us didn't go into marriage thinking that that would be a part of it. But what we have found, uh, at least in our lives, through God's economy, God can allow us to experience joy as well as suffering and use them within our lives in some of the very same, some of the familiar situations that we have found ourselves in. On our, let's say, for our wedding, and I'm going to say, and listen, when I say suffering, you know what, again, um, we don't suffer anything like what Peter would be describing because these people were being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So that, that there's, when we say suffering, our, our minds are in, in different places. It's kind of like when I go to Uganda and they pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. That is a prayer that they mean because they don't know if they're going to get food that day. And I'm always just, wow, Lord, this is incredible in their faith. But I remember for our wedding and leading up to the wedding, there I, I was feeling like I was suffering a lot. There was all this drama and all this commotion. And me and Mary just wanted to do things like really nice and simple. And, and yet, you know, the powers that be that came in and said, nope, nope, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this. And yet going through all of that, but I must say, when I was standing there at the altar and I looked down this very long aisle that we were at the church we were in, and I saw this woman walk down that aisle to me. I'm telling you the, the joy that I was experiencing in that moment. And then to hear her say she wanted to be with me forever. I mean, yeah. Yeah, there might have been some suffering and stuff that goes on. But there's also this incredible joy that comes along with this. Again, you ladies, when you have, you know, children, you have babies. I remember for us, you know, there's a lot of hurt and pain. There's suffering that goes along with that. But then the joy of, 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 of holding that little baby in your hand and, and realizing that God has allowed us to be a part of his life-giving process. And yet, you know, then you have the diapers and the all, you know, the sleepless nights and all the other stuff that kind of goes along with that, you know, when we, when you have kids. And yet, what I have found is the Lord will walk us through. And the Lord teaches us that love suffers long. Love suffers long. Uh, I remember when, you know, when we got married, and again, keeping it in the marriage theme, um, I was hoping it would be Pat and Mary, and that's all that would be involved in our relationship. Um, and as I've shared in the past, <laughs> that wasn't all because I'm from a very large family. She's from a large family as well. And you have all these other people involved. And again, you know, my relationship with my in-laws, I've shared that many times, was extremely rocky and difficult. And, and I was a big part of that, my pride, my arrogance and stuff like that. That was a part of all of that. But then I was, you know, thinking about even for Mary. Listen, I am one of nine kids. And... Here's a really interesting fact. I had three people from my high school who graduated the same year that I did, married into my family. 
Isn't that interesting? But anyways, I have talked to people who married into my family, and they're like, they don't like all the drama and all the other stuff. I think, man, who wouldn't want to be a part of such a big, loving, happy, you know, you know, family and stuff? And, and yet they would always look at me and kind of say, yeah, Pat, no, not everyone would like that. And some of them don't want anything to do with the family and all the commotion and all the stuff that goes along with that. But you know what we have found? And again, through the hurt, the pain, the suffering, things that were said, all of that family drama, when we allow God to move and work and speak to our hearts, God does. And we see that, that love can suffer long. Again, as in chapter 4, where it's going to talk about, you know, the trials and tribulations and stuff. You know, there was a time in our life when we first got married, we had two kids. I was making five bucks an hour. We'd go down to church and get the rice and beans and stuff. And my mom, I remember when she came up, when our son was born, and she's like, you don't even have a TV. And she went out and bought a TV and furniture and all this other stuff. And I go, Mom, it's okay. You know, as far, my, my, my thought was, as long as I can have some ice cream in my freezer, I'm okay. You know, we're we're not poor and broken stuff. But again, we all kind of go through those things that, that happen, and yet we understand love suffers long. You know, you get the call from the, the principal from the school and, you know, kind of basically telling us that our second grade second grader was walking out of his class, grabbed the payphone, dialed 911, and told the, 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 the people on the other end, the police, that his teacher was counterfeiting money because she was trying to, you know, she was video copying some, some money things that she could use. Then you get called into the principal's office with the teacher and the chief of police as we're sitting there. And the chief of police actually looked at my son and goes, well, you know, technically you're actually right for doing what you did, but maybe you shouldn't have done it, done that, which didn't go over well with the, uh, the, the teacher or the principal. <laughs> kind of marked my son for the rest of his school life and things like that. But you know what? We've had um, bouts. We've had cancer. We've had family members passing away. We've had all of the things that all of us kind of have. And yet, love, we've learned love suffers long. Love suffers long. You know, and as we're getting older, we're kind of doing a lot more care for the parents and, and, and the aches and pains that go along with that. In fact, I told someone the other day, um, um, you know you're getting old when uh, uh, a good day or a bad day is dependent upon whether you had a bowel movement or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yet we're finding, yes, we can't wait till, till we experience that. But, uh, you know, that's, those are the things that are going on. And yet through all of that, God has, he, he began teaching us when we came together. And God isn't done teaching us. You go through the Bible, you see people like Job who had so much, he lost it all. And yet his wife, he even got boils and his wife came and said, curse God and die. And yet the Bible says that Job, he would not turn away from God, but he said, naked I came into the world, naked I will return, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin in his heart towards God. And I have found that we can oftentimes, things don't go well around us, we can man, start blaming God or, or getting mad at God. I think about King David, you know, he had a child and the little baby was really sick and then the baby died. 
And again, I know statistically hearing the reports that um, whenever a, a family has a young one that, that um, passes away, oftentimes that family doesn't make it. There's usually, they separate and things like that, that that go on there. But I love the fact that David, what happened with David? When he heard the news, he'd been fasting and praying, he heard the news, he gets up, he washes himself, he changes his clothes, he goes into the temple and he worships. And they were like, whoa, 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 what is going on? And they came to him and he said, listen, my son, I, I, uh, my son can't come back to me, but I will get to go to my son one day. David believing in the promises of God, that there was something that was waiting so much better than that's on this earth, that's with him in heaven. And again, for all of us understanding, love suffers long. I think about the prophet Ezekiel. God came to him and said, I am going to remove the desire of your eyes. Now, again, that, that he was talking about his wife, that God was going to take his wife. And there's a lot of, you know, I'm running into a lot of people who the Lord has taken their wives. And guys, and, you know, a guy came in the office the other day, and, and he still, he starts thinking about it. And he's got tears, and he's just struggling and working through. I don't know what I would do in that case, if God did that. And I love the fact that it talks about Ezekiel, it says, the desire of your eyes. So it wasn't like, you know, they had a marriage that you looked at and say, well, yeah, I wouldn't want a marriage like that. But you could tell that Ezekiel loved his wife. And yet God took her. And yet, through that, Ezekiel trusted in God and believed in God and was willing to put his hope and trust in the God that he was trusting in. And that is what the Lord, I believe, would really speak and minister to all of our hearts tonight. Listen, love suffers long. It, 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 and, and, and that is what love is. Love is patient. Love suffers long. Love is kind. And then in 13, there it goes through the whole list of what love isn't. But what it is, it suffers long. In the time when God suffered long, Noah it took him 120 years. The Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness, and yet no one repented at his preaching. That's why they believe that when Jesus went, he kind of proclaimed, hey, this is what you rejected um, in, you know, in, in that, that little place. But for us, that we would understand love suffers long. We would allow the Lord to turn, turn the, uh, the, the ashes within our lives into beauty, uh, the, the, the difficult times into joy, um, the bitterness into thanksgiving, Allow him to do that within our hearts and lives as we learn and continue to learn. The Bible says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen, I know for us, we've had many nights where we've sat and we've wept over things that are going on or people or things that we just didn't understand. And yet God never, never was without that promise of bringing forth joy within our hearts through those difficult times. Wherever you're at within your marriage, whatever is going on, listen, love suffers long. God is a God who loves us. His love for us suffers long. He desires that we would just come to him and call upon him, believe in him and trust in him. That's what he wants us to do. So let's do that, folks, okay? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much for your word and the things written here within your word, Lord. And Lord, the examples that are given for us and for us within our marriage again, Lord, I don't know where each and every person is at, but 
I know you do. You know right where we're at within our own hearts and our lives. You see the things that are going on. You are the God who sees all of those things. And yet, Lord, tonight we've been talking about the suffering and what that might look like, even within our own marriages, Lord. And I, I believe that as we would look back, each one of us would look back upon our lives, we would see you being a faithful God. And, and Lord, instead of causing us division and separation, where through the difficult times, through the trials and tribulations, you've brought us closer together. And you've taught us and are teaching us that love suffers long. Lord, help us to have that kind of love, the love that suffers long within our marriage and within our walk. And we do thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying amen. Amen. amen.